You're listening to Trust Me, You're Broke. I'm your host, Julia, a millennial consultant in banking, here to give you some tips and tricks on how to make, save, and grow your money. Let's get started. I would be doing everyone a disservice if I didn't address the big, fat elephant in the room, and that is, we are all surviving in a modern-day pandemic. I mean, needless to say, it's bad enough that it'll one day be taught in history class. So in this episode, let's have a tough conversation about how to save in times of uncertainty, whether or not you have still been able to keep your job or have unfortunately lost it as a result of COVID-19, this content today is relevant to all of you. In a normal setting, your financial health would be determined by a couple of different factors, such as your current income, your income potential, your savings, your investments, all of that. But throw in a pandemic in the mix and you'll have a quite a different way of assessing your financial health. And my advice to you is for now, only assess your financial health based on the savings you have in your account. And this is for a very maybe seemingly obvious reason, which is that during a pandemic, a lot of different changes can happen, sudden changes to your job situation, your income, all of that. Especially if you determined your wealth by the amount of investments that you've had, you would have seen in early 2020, between February to early April, we've seen the most devastating stock market crash we have seen since 1929. So in a pandemic, it's not the best idea to determine your financial health by looking at the assets you have that are hard to liquidate. So with that in mind, where do we begin? Well, a lot of common advice that advisors would have is to have at least three to six months worth of contingency funds saved up for a rainy day. So for someone who's renting and doesn't have any property, that would be three to six months worth of rent and utilities. Any other expenses that you have in your life, like food or anything else, can be paid off via credit card, which is, you know, we don't love debt, but um, when push comes to shove, you can pay those expenses with credit. However, with rent, you can't really pay that with a credit card, which is why it would be equivalent to three to six months of rent and utilities. Now, for a homeowner, that would be three to six months worth of your mortgage payments because you never want to default on your mortgage. Although the Canadian government did um, come up with a mortgage deferral program, which you can definitely take advantage of if you are in that situation. So now the big question is, do you have this saved up in your bank account today? And if the answer is no, then unfortunately, here's the reality. Even if you may believe that your job is secured today, you are still at risk and still need to take extra precaution to save up. Now, I could be suggesting that you change all of your bad spending habits, mine being ordering on Uber Eats too much, but wouldn't that be too obvious and frankly unattainable in the short term? I mean, given the fact that the savings forecast for an average Canadian in 2020 is projected to be 3.21% of one's net income, we really should be finding attainable and easy strategies to cut our expenses and save more today. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Now, the first stage to saving more during this time is to critically assess yourself, assess and reassess. And the easiest way you can do this is to go into your mobile app, so your banking app, 
Pick the account that you know you use the most and pick a six month time frame and look at the recurring themes that you have going on. Now, trust me, this exercise is going to be ugly. It's not going to be easy because what you'll likely see is you're going to see a series of small purchases that are really raking up to become a significant expenditure, whether that's on your checkings account or your credit card. And before you think, ugh, this is exactly the reason why I don't look into my bank account as often as I should is because I just spend on petty little things and they just add up. Before you go into that rabbit hole, I would like to introduce you to the Pareto Principle or Pareto as some people like to call it. So the Pareto Principle dictates that 80% of consequences in anything, in a process, in a project, in life, in your personal finances, 80% of the consequences come from 20% of the causes. That means if you look into your expenses carefully, you should be able to summarize them into two or three major categories. So once you have had a chance to take a look at your bank account and the last six months of your transactions, note down two or three common themes that you're seeing. Now, if one of your top expenses is going towards paying down an existing debt, don't write that because that's actually essential. And one of the first things that you should be doing before saving is working towards paying off your debt. So now once you've noted them down, Surprise, take a break and reflect. Did you enjoy that random interlude? I just wanted to put it in there so that we have a nice transition and a moment of reflection. And now right back into regular programming. How hard was that? How hard was it to visualize and to find your top expenditure? Now, if it was easy, you probably have infrequent purchases from a small number of sources. So it's very easy for you to find the trends. Now, if it was hard, well, then you probably are like what I was, which is um, having small expenses from many different sources, making it really hard to pinpoint where the money was actually leaking. And this, guys, is the classic disorganized spender. The so-called disorganized spender is one that uses more intuition than reason when spending, and as a result, has many unplanned purchases and expenses. And I admit it, I used to be that disorganized spender. I used to be like, well, I feel like eating this today, so therefore I'm going to order it. Or I feel like buying this and I know it's a stretch for my spending target, but I'm still going to do it anyway because I want to. So if you're on the same boat as I was, then you are a disorganized spender. Now, before you get all discouraged and start to hate yourself, I just want to tell you that there are a lot of disorganized spenders out there. And honestly, most people are disorganized spenders. That's why the savings rate for 2020 is expected to be for Canadian adults, 3.2% of their net income. 
To be fair, the biggest reason is probably because of the high property costs here in Canada. All of the metropolitan cities within Canada have extremely expensive real estate. I mean, I could say this a hundred times over, and that is why um, everyone's debt ratio is a bit higher and paying down that mortgage or paying down that debt is accounting for a lot of the monthly expenses that are going out. In general, um, cost of living in these cities are also very expensive. So that's whether that's rent, mortgage, or whether that's food, um, transportation, it's all very expensive. And so I understand when it comes to savings levels being a bit lower, but 3.2%, there is room for improvement there. And there is clearly some way we can be better at spending and better at saving. So if you are one of the many disorganized spenders out there, there are two things you need to do here. The first thing is to segregate your expenses, and the second is to segregate your savings. So let's start with segregating your expenses. One thing I found early in my journey to saving was that my credit card expenses were stacking up but I really couldn't tell you for the life of me exactly where that money was going. So I did this exercise, the one that I just talked about, which was looking into my transactions history. And honestly, I actually looked into a whole year's worth because I really wanted to understand where the money was leaking. And yikes, what I found out was that one of my biggest uh, purchases was going to food delivery, aka Uber Eats. And that's really sad to think that, you know, you're you're working really hard to save up, but one of the biggest expenses of your life is towards food, something that can be so easily changed. But like I said in the beginning of this episode, it is incredibly hard to change habits. And I'm not here to tell you, you know, you need to stop eating out. You need to start grocery shopping. You need to start cooking in more. And if you're someone that enjoys Uh, Uber Eats as much as I do. I feel you. I really do. And I'm not here to tell you to quit that. But what I am telling you to do is put a mirror in front of you. Right now, you don't have that mirror because you're not segregating your expenses. So what I started to do, what I mean by that is... What I started to do was I had two credit cards. I um, actually issued one credit card because I wanted to um, increase the total credit limit that I had for credit score purposes that I will go through much detail um, in another episode. But I anyway, I had a credit card that I wasn't really using. Um, And so what I decided to do was actually change my credit card number on file for my Uber Eats delivery account. And what I very quickly saw was that that credit card was raking up, man. It was raking up a lot of dollars. But it was like a moment of truth for me. It was very easy for me to see. These expenses are only going to your Uber Eats delivery. So when on a biweekly basis, I was seeing $600 charges on my credit card just for Uber Eats, That was my come to Jesus moment. So that's what I mean by put a mirror in front of yourself. If you can get an additional, maybe even checkings account or an additional credit card, 
Um, there are implications to getting an additional credit card, short-term implications that if you are someone that needs to take out a loan in this um, pandemic, if you're someone that needs additional uh, debt to you know, survive, whether that's because you're running your business, et cetera, I wouldn't advise on getting another credit card because it does take a hit on your credit score in the short term. And um, anyway, without going into too much detail of that, I wouldn't advise that. But if you are in a kind of financially sort of stable um, place, maybe get a checkings uh, account or get another credit card and put your single biggest expense on those cards exclusively and you will very quickly see just how much the magnitude of your expenses on just that one category and in segregating my expenses that way now I had a metaphorical mirror in front of me and I could reflect on myself so now what I do is because it's a lot easier to see okay how much exactly did I spend on my food I end up checking it more often And that's also really important, which is now that you've assessed your situation, you've done a postmortem, you need to now do a premortem. You need to do regular uh, assessments of yourself with these um, accounts that you have segregated your expenses on to see how you're doing. Uh, on a regular basis. So on a bi-weekly basis, I check my account to see, did my balance go significantly up or did is it kind of staying relatively flat? And if it's flat, it means, oh, I've done a good job. I haven't really ordered out this these past two weeks. I'm doing great. I should continue that. Now, if I see significant charges on a bi-weekly basis on this account for Uber Eats, then I know I've become a bit too lazy and I need to make a conscious effort to cook in more for the next two weeks. So now that you have separated your expenses, it's time to do the same for your savings. The more you divide up your income or your savings and the less accessible your disposable income becomes, the less likely you will spend it which in turn prevents us from being that disorganized spender. Now, if you're super determined, maybe you would have thought, maybe I should open up an RSP, which is a retirement savings account. But note that in a pandemic, you want your funds to be readily accessible if you really have to use it, which makes RSP an account that is less appealing in the situation. Overall, in the topic of financial health, I love the idea of RSPs and TFSAs and all of that, and we can go through that at another time. But in the context of a pandemic, you want to have your cash reasonably accessible to you. So you shouldn't just lock it up somewhere where it's like a three-year GIC where you literally cannot access your funds for the next three years because you never know how your financial situation is going to change in the short term. So while you should be able to withdraw money when you want to ultimately, it's just making it a bit harder for you to access your money. And that's where the segregation of your savings come. Some of my favorite ways to kind of split my savings is one in a savings account that's nice and boring. It hardly gives me any type of interest. Um, It's just cash that I have on hand and I'm not really focusing on growing that, uh, that pool of money. 
But this type of cash is actually really important to have on hand because it is what we call the most liquid asset you can have. And a most liquid asset means that you can withdraw it, you can use it, you can spend it anytime you like. And so if there are pressing emergencies where it requires me to spend my money immediately, I have a repository to access that from. So in this savings account, I have around one and a half months worth of rent ready for me to go. Just in case, like for example, uh, you live with a roommate, I live with a roommate. Let's say my roommate forgets to transfer me money on time, right? And the landlord happens to transfer out of money right on the date. Um, then I have to quickly transfer and cover for that. And this is where my first savings account would come into play. The intentions of that money in the savings account, I now know, is used for absolute emergencies that require immediate transfer of funds. Then my other savings account that, again, is super low interest rate, just a really basic savings account from a bank, is in my other financial institution. So because this savings account resides in my secondary financial institution, meaning my pay doesn't go here uh, on a biweekly basis, I naturally look at it less. And because I look at it less, my money is now a little bit less accessible than it would be if I saved all of that money into my primary financial institution's savings account. So if you have more than one financial institution that you're banking with, one being the primary one and another, I don't know, you opened up because they offered $300 on your account upon opening, um, try to utilize that secondary account as a way for you to just uh, make your funds less visible to you. And because you should never trust yourself to be completely disciplined with money when you first begin, you should set up a pre-authorized uh, transfer over to either the secondary financial institution or if you only have one bank account uh, from your checkings to your savings account. Opening up a checkings or savings account uh, doesn't require a hard credit check, unlike issuing a credit card to you. So that means you can go and open up multiple savings and checkings account without having short-term uh, credit score implications. Now, if you're just doing it for the purposes of reducing visibility of the funds available to you, then I would suggest that you go with, you know, a, a savings account with sort of an okay interest rate, but don't focus on that too much. Just go with a low cost or a free uh, savings account product out there. There's definitely a variety available in the market. So do your research and pick the one that is the most beneficial to you. So with this secondary financial institutions uh, savings account that I have, I normally don't transfer too much money. I just transfer like $500 a month and that's $250 biweekly as soon as my uh, check comes in from work. So it's just like extra cushioning that I'm kind of removing for myself so that it doesn't look like I have uh, the disposable income that I actually do. Now, if you can contribute more, by all means, but if you can't contribute more, then don't sweat it because savings accounts from financial institutions traditionally have very low interest rate. Literally, you can put that into an investment account with the lowest interest rate possible and you'll still have higher returns than sticking it into a savings account. I should probably do a whole episode just ranting on uh, bank savings accounts and why they're kind of the worst financial decisions possible. 
But for now, you just need to know that I don't really love savings accounts and I think it's a waste of your money. And that brings me to my third way of segregating my savings, which is utilizing the many fintech apps these days for investing and for saving. My favorite for my fellow Canadians out there is Wealthsimple as well as Milo. So Milo is a platform for saving and you can auto contribute to the app. The one function that I really liked early on when I was trying to save better was being able to round up all of your expenses from your uh, major financial institutions and then contributing those dollars into the savings account. So for instance, if you spent $5.80 on something, then it would round up 20 cents and contribute that to your Milo. By the way, this is not an ad, but Milo, if you're listening to this at all, sponsor me, please. But I digress. Now, Wealthsimple actually has the exact same function. It's called, in fact, it's called Wealthsimple Roundup. I'm pretty active on Wealthsimple, so I do have this feature turned on. And you think because it's like just a roundup, you know, in the cents and the pennies, that the contributions you make would be pretty insignificant. But I've seen uh, throughout like a year now, my average weekly roundup was around six to seven dollars, which I don't know what you were expecting, but per my expectations, that was actually a lot higher than I expected. So the reason why I chose eventually Wealthsimple over Milo was because Wealthsimple had this roundup feature, but also they had the investing portfolio that I wanted to take advantage of. Now, I could do more investigation into Milo to see if they invest. I'm pretty sure they have an investing feature as well, but I got into Wealthsimple first and the platform is really intuitive for first-time investors, so I really like that. Um, So per month, I have an auto contribution to my Wealthsimple investment portfolio, which by the way, if you're unfamiliar with how Wealthsimple works, it's a robo-advising investment platform. So it's different than a traditional bank where you have to have a certain threshold, like you have to have a certain net worth to have a portfolio manager look at your funds and have them manage it for you. It's also very low fees. It's like 0.5%, which compared to the market is like a lot lower. And then in addition to that, they actually have a Wealthsimple trade app, which is for trading individual stocks at 0% fee. Now, if you're an American listening to this by any chance, then you would know there is also another app called Robinhood, only available in the US and I believe now Australia. And that works a very similar way as Wealthsimple, where you can trade stocks with no trading fees. For Wealthsimple, I have around $1,000 auto-contributing every month, and this is money that essentially I consider a write-off. I never have this money, and it's not disposable income for me. Although what I do really love about the app, and I think there's a lot of competing apps and services out there now, is that you can withdraw the money anytime you'd like. So there's no restriction on when you're uh, allowed to withdraw your investments. Still, compared to having a savings account within your primary financial institution, it is still less accessible because it does take, I believe, at least one to two business days for the funds to be transferred over to the financial institution of your choice. So it doesn't actually give you immediate, immediate access to the funds that you have, but you still have relatively quick and easy access to the funds that you have invested through the app. So, so far, I have addressed five different ways that you can segregate your funds. This is something that can be done for anyone at any life stage. 
without incurring an additional cost. Now, the next one that I'm about to introduce really largely depends on your employer, if you are currently employed, and uh, the status of your employment. So if you're full-time versus contract. But for me, I am a full-time employee at a financial institution, and part of being an employee at a bank gives you a lot of financial perks, one being an employee share purchase plan. Some companies call it deferred profit sharing plan. Others call it uh, employee share purchase plan. There's a lot of different names to it, but essentially what it is, is you can contribute a percentage of your pay into purchasing your company's stocks and your company will actually contribute or match uh, the amount that you're paying. Now, I'm pretty sure the exact amount that the company, my company is matching me is confidential, so I'm not going to reveal exactly how much they supply for the contributions I'm making. But if this is an option available to you, I highly, highly recommend take advantage of it as soon as possible because this is free money, especially if you um, contribute it to a tax-free savings account. I've maximized the percentage of my pay that I can contribute to this to maximize the, uh, the matching that my employer does. And so again, for confidential reasons, I don't think I can say exactly how much percent I put it into my um, employee share purchase plan, but definitely that percentage gets deducted from my pay even before my pay hits my bank account. And that's actually great because over this year and a half, I've actually been able to save up more than $7,000 just in the employee share purchase plan. In total, in this episode, I have introduced to you six different ways you can split your savings. The less available the funding is, the less likely you will spend it. So don't just trust that you're just going to be disciplined. Actually make it less available for you to reach. Editing Julia here. So my boyfriend actually let me know that Milo has since been renamed called Mocha and also it charges $3 a month now. And since I don't want to re-record that entire segment, I'm just going to make a correction now. All the more easy for me to choose Weltsimple over Mocha because Weltsimple is free to use unless you choose to use their managed portfolio, which then they'll charge you 0.5%. Now we're on to the next subject, which is, okay, now that you have full visibility into your financial expenses and your savings, how can you save an additional amount in this pandemic? My exclusive tip for you as a banker to get started is to go back into your no fee accounts. So if you have a savings or a checkings or a credit card that you're not paying any fees on, Go check your transactions for the past three months and see if you have any unrecognizable transactions. Surprise, banks are run by humans too. And guess what? Sometimes there are errors that happen. So sometimes they recognize your account as a fee account. So they take fees away from you on a monthly basis and you have no idea this is happening until it is just too late. So go into your account and see if there are any charges that you don't recognize that could be an account. And if you do see these uh, unrecognized transactions, call the bank immediately and they should be more than happy to assist you in any way possible. Every single financial institution has like a customer care, but specifically like a customer happiness 
uh, center where, you know, they want to make sure that they're helping you the best they can. So if you are um, seeing transactions that you don't recognize, even if it's a fee that was clearly explained to you when you opened your account, they will find ways to try and help you, especially given the times. So always, always reach out to your bank and try to communicate these fees that you don't recognize. Also, I can only speak to Canadian metropolitan cities, but in Canada here, um, for the first time in a very long time, it's a renter's market. So that means where possible, try negotiating your rent and try decreasing it as much as you can. At the very least, if this is not an option for you, try to get yourself out of committing to a full year's lease. Uh, if possible, try to get into a month-to-month -month type of uh, contract so that you can look for other options out there that are much cheaper in the market. And finally, my parting advice. Did you know that you can receive tax credits for using your home as your primary office for the year? I know most people in 2020 were probably subjected to suddenly working from home. So if you type work from home tax credit, you can actually search up accurate information on CRA's website about the conditions of this credit because I'm not an accountant and I'm not a tax advisor. But in a nutshell, you need to prove that your workspace in your home was where you did most of your work, uh, which the CRA defines as more than 50% of the time. And as well, you need to have had used the space for only your uh, employment income, using it to perform regular duties like jumping on Zoom calls. Now, how you calculate all of the expenses is by a percentage of the square footage of your home. So let's say you used 10% of your home and then all of the expenses that occurred in that 10% can be deducted from your income. So that includes rent, any modifications such as paint for that area, utilities, and some office supplies, but not capital cost allowance, which are things like depreciating equipment, such as furniture or computers. I know. I wish those were included as well so I can get myself a brand new monitor, but I'm not complaining. And the final part of this is that you actually need to have your employer sign a T2200 form, which essentially means that your employer would be footing the bill, quote unquote. So this may not be a benefit available to you because your employer needs to decide that they want to provide this as a benefit, but you should definitely know to ask anyway. So there you have it. Without changing too much of your existing spending habits, you can save more in these times just by first, categorizing your spending and savings so that you're more aware of your habits. Second, utilizing apps to automate some of your savings, as well as looking into any unrecognized transactions in your accounts. Third, taking advantage of the renter's market to negotiate a better rent price. And lastly, asking your employer if you can file your home as your primary workspace for the year. Oh, and by the way, if you have a mortgage, definitely go shopping for a better deal as interest rates are crazy low right now. Hope today's episode was informative and fun. If you'd like to show me some support and also want to get started on Wealthsimple today, I actually have a referral link in my description that you can use at sign up. If you use my link, you can get your first 10,000 managed for free for the next 12 months. That's an extra 0.5% savings. 
which by the way is higher than a bank's savings account interest rate. But shh, I didn't tell you that. If you like this episode, please give my podcast a like, a five-star review, and a follow. Also, go follow me at Wealth by Julia on Instagram for more tips and tricks. I'll talk to you soon.